Come taste and see that the Lord is good. His love for me never runs out. Come taste and see that the Lord is good. He is good. Come now and drink and be satisfied. Forgiveness overflowing. Come now and drink and you will find He's always good. God, you're always good. Just one word, just one touch from you and I believe that you love me, you are for me, and you hold sit at the table of mercy come taste and see that the lord is good he is good god you're always good just one word just one touch from you and i
walk away the same. Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome to worship at Fusion this morning. We're so glad that you've joined us here in person as well as online. Welcome. At this time, feel free to stand up and greet one another with the peace of Christ. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. Amen. Let's sing praises to him this morning. I believe you give sight to the blind. I believe that the dead came to life. I believe there were wonders and signs, and you're still the same. I believe. I believe every word that you said. I believe there are scars on your hands. That your goodness is good without end, and you'll never change. I will tell of your wonders, sing of your grace. The God of creation knows me by name. The Lord is faithful yesterday, now and always. Always. Your mercy, your mercy is mighty. Age after age, all generations will bow down and praise the Lord. Yesterday, now, and always, always. I believe you will come in the clouds. I believe you are here even now. In your presence, I know there is power, power to save. Oh, I will tell of your wonders, sing of your
generations will bow down and praise the Lord is faithful yesterday, now, and always. Our Father everlasting, the all-creating one, God Almighty. Through your Holy Spirit, conceiving Christ the Son, Jesus our Savior. I believe, I believe in God our Father, I believe in Christ the Son. I believe in the Holy Spirit. Our God is three in one. I believe in the resurrection that we will rise again. For I believe in the name of Jesus. Judge and our defender suffered and crucified. Forgiveness is in you. Descending into darkness, you rose in glorious light. Forever seated high. I believe in God our Father. I believe in the Son. I believe in the Holy Spirit. Our God is three in one. I believe in the resurrection that we will rise again. For I believe in the name of Jesus. I believe in you. Proclaim it, I believe. I believe in God our Father, I believe in Christ the Son, I believe in the Holy Spirit. Oh my God is three in one. I believe in the resurrection that we will rise again. For I believe in the name of Jesus. I believe in the light. Eternal. I believe in the virgin birth. I believe in the saints' communion and in your holy church. 
I believe in the resurrection when Jesus comes again. For I believe in the name of Jesus. For I believe in the name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. At this time, I'd love to invite the kids who are going downstairs to kind of gather over here by the door like we always do. I see Miss Janet heading that way. Kids are always welcome to stay in here too. There are activity um, workbook packets out there in that entry if you would rather do that. So they're few but mighty today. We'll see. All right. Are you guys ready to do what you need to do? All right, adults, are you ready? Let's bless the kids. The Lord be with you. Well done. Oh, that's so fun. It is my honor to lead us in congregational prayer this morning. Um, and I'm just, I'm going to pray some congregational concerns, but I will not be using names just because we do stream this online. So um, hopefully all of you who are being prayed for here and out there know you're being prayed for. Let's pray, starting with the words of Psalm 99. The Lord reigns. Let the nations tremble. He sits enthroned between the cherubim. Let the earth shake. Great is the Lord. He is exalted over all the nations. Let them praise your great and awesome name. He is holy. The king is mighty. He loves justice. You have established equity. In Jacob, you have done what is just and right. Exalt the Lord our God and worship at his footstool. He is holy. Holy God, may we rest in that this morning, that you are holy, you are faithful, you are good. Please move through this place with your spirit. And may we just rest in these moments and feel your spirit and hear your words this morning in a new way. Uh, may we never forget that you are a holy God and we are in awe of you. Thank you for summer weather, for sunshine, for green grass and green leaves. Um, God, we are grateful for your creativeness when we look around outside. But we pray for rain this morning um, for all the crops, all the farmers who depend on you and depend on that rain. Um, God, we just pray that you will bless their hard work and that you will give them what they need in the coming days. Um, we just pray it for all who are lacking water uh, this morning. We thank you that JB and his family could be on vacation this morning and that they are enjoying time with Yvonne's family. We just pray that they will have a great time of rest and renewal and that they will come back refreshed to us. Um, thank you for him. Thank you for Corey, who is stepping in this morning. Um, please bless him with your words as he brings the message this morning. God, I thank you for successful surgeries and for those who are able to be with us this morning following that. And we just praise you for healing and for uh, skilled physicians and surgeons. But God, we just thank you, thank you for healing and restoration for those who are doing well. And we lift up those who received new diagnoses this week. 
that are devastating or that are scary. Um, God, we just put them in your hands. We pray a special prayer of healing, and you are a God of miracles, and we know you are mighty. So God, move. We just pray boldly for healing. Thank you for this time that we can gather as a community and as a family. God, may we never take that for granted. May we always trust you. May we always go to you first. May we understand each and every day that you are a loving God and you are always with us. We pray all of this in the mighty and powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Well, good morning. My name is Corey Plockmeyer. It is an honor and a privilege to be with you here this morning. I am ordained in the Christian Reformed Church, uh, but I serve currently as the executive director of Movement West Michigan, which is a nonprofit organization that seeks to unite the capital C Church of Holland and Zealand so that we can work together for the flourishing of the community. You might recall back in April, Hardawike participated in a, uh, an initiative where we gathered gifts and notes and, and gave uh, gifts to the teachers of Harbor Lights Middle School and to our partner elementary school. Uh, that was part of a broader initiative that saw 34 local churches from across denominations come together to make sure that all 3,600 school workers at every single one of the 57 school buildings in the Holland Zealand area received something to show them that we love them, that we care for them, and that the church loves them. Uh, Movement West Michigan, we were the coordinating effort behind all of that, making sure that we could get all of those 34 churches to come together and work together on that effort. So in part, I want to say this morning, thank you to Hardawike for your participation in that project, because it was a true joy to watch the body of Christ come together to show the support of the church to say we love you and we care for you, and we just want to say thank you to all the teachers in this community. Uh, and so that's what I get to do day in, day out, is figure out ways to herd cats that are th uh, the 133 congregations in the three zip codes of Holland and Zealand from across denominational traditions. And so it is a joy to be with you here this morning. Hardawake has a special place in my heart because uh, you are my calling church. You might recall uh, about a year ago, I, I got to come up here and have, be prayed over and have hands placed on me. My family is usually worshiping at Watershed. So it's always a joy to come and share God's word with another one of Hardawake's campuses. And so this morning, we are going to look together at the first petition, the first prayer request in the Lord's Prayer. And so I want to invite us to look together at the words uh, first of the, the Lord's Prayer from Matthew chapter 6, where Jesus says to his disciples, this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And as we look at that line, hallowed be your name, I want to look at it through the lens of Psalm 115, where we read these words, not to us, Lord, not to us, but to your name be the glory because of your love and faithfulness. Why do the nations say, where is their God? Our God is in heaven. He does whatever pleases him. 
But their idols are silver and gold made by human hands. They have mouths but cannot speak, eyes but cannot see. They have ears but cannot hear, noses but cannot smell. They have hands but cannot feel, feet but cannot walk, nor can they utter a sound with their throats. Those who make them will be like them and so will all who trust in them. All you Israelites, trust in the Lord. He is their help and shield. House of Aaron, trust in the Lord. He is their help and shield. You who fear him, trust in the Lord. He is their help and shield. The Lord remembers us and will bless us. He will bless his people Israel. He will bless the house of Aaron. He will bless those who fear the Lord, small and great alike. May the Lord cause you to flourish, both you and your children. May you be blessed by the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. The highest heavens belong to the Lord, but the earth he has given to mankind. It is not the dead who praise the Lord, those who go down to the place of silence. It is we who extol the Lord, both now and forevermore. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I'd like to introduce you to my dog, Apollo. Apollo is a 90-pound German Shepherd Rottweiler mix, and he has a massive bark. And that's intentional, right? We wanted that dog who would be a dedicated, loyal family dog who, if somebody came to our door unexpectedly, would be made alerted to the fact that there is a giant 90-pound dog inside. Now, on Thursday of this week, my daughter had a friend over, and that friend, she's not a huge fan of dogs, and so Apollo's big, scary bark was particularly big and scary to her. But the thing that I've learned about Apollo, and the thing that we learned from working with his trainers, is that when a dog like Apollo barks with that big, scary bark, it's not because he wants to be aggressive towards us, but it's because he himself is scared. He exhibits what, what the, the dog trainers call, he's, he's a reactive dog, right? He gets reactive to things that scare him. He has big fears. He's a big dog with big fears. I like to think of it as aggressive timidity, right? Aggressive timidity in a dog looks like those loud barks. It looks like that, that dog that you look at and go, I don't know if I can trust this dog. You can, he's a sweet dog. But for those of you who don't know him, it looks scary, But when I stop and think about that aggressive timidity, it strikes me that we do that too. I'm going to guess that most of us don't sit at the window and bark at all of the people who pass by. I hope not. But we show that aggressive timidity in other ways, right? When we're afraid, we lash out. And I think aggressive timidity for us often looks like one of three things. Control, control, control. Because when we see a scary world that we can't control, when we see a scary situation that we can't control, when we see something that we are not sure if we're going to be able to manage it, what do we do? We control it. Or at least we try to. And the irony is, is that prayer is, or at least it should be, the act of giving up control. When we pray, we are giving over control to God and saying, God, I can't handle this and I need you to. And when I'm honest, I suspect that's the reason why I have such a hard time with prayer. Because giving up control is hard. 
So here at, at Heart Awake and in the Fusion community, we are in the midst of this series on the Lord's Prayer. A couple weeks ago, Pastor Aaron joked in the watershed community, said, you know, we just spent 31 weeks on the story where we would sometimes do entire books of the Bible in one week, uh, and now we're doing the exact opposite, where we're narrowing in sometimes to just three words. Uh, that would be your four words, four words, and we're talking about that. And we're looking at this line this week of the Lord's Prayer, hallowed be your name. Now, I don't know about you, but I will fully admit that hallowed is not a word that I use very often in my regular conversations. It just not, doesn't usually come up when I'm talking to people. But what it means at its core, this phrase, hallowed be your name, may your name be made holy. Which strikes me as sort of an interesting thing for us to pray. Because I think I don't control God's holiness. What does it look like for me to ask that God's name would be made holy? Because God is holy regardless of whether I pray it or not. So why am I praying, hallowed be your name? And I think what we are going to see is that as we pray, hallowed be your name, may your name be holy, what we are doing is that we are replacing that aggressive timidity with humble audacity. We are replacing aggressive timidity with humble audacity. To see that, we're going to look together at Psalm 115. The first eight verses, not to us, Lord, but not to us, but to your name be the glory because of your love and faithfulness. Why do the nations say, where is their God? Right? And we, we read this already, our God is in heaven, he does whatever pleases him. And then we get this series of verses about the idols of the ancient world, right? They're silver and gold. They have mouths, they have eyes, but they can't speak or see. They have ears, they have noses, but they can't hear or smell. They have hands, they have feet, but they can't feel or walk. They can't utter a sound with their throats. Those who make them will be like them, and so will all who trust in them. And I think when we pray, hallowed be your name, what we are invited to is to three postures. It shapes us, it molds us to have three different postures in the way that we approach this world and this life. And the first is a posture of humility. And what I mean by that is this, right? Hallowed be your name reminds us that God is God and we are not. That there is a separation to who God is. This is what we see in those first eight verses of Psalm 115, that, that God is something other than all of those idols of the world around the ancient Israelites. There is a holiness to God. Now, idolatry and idols is sort of an interesting thing for us in the modern world to encounter because, right, that whole list, those, those four verses of all of the features of idols of the ancient world, right, they had hands and feet and eyes and, and mouths and because they were crafted, right, they were statues and sculptures and, and that's not exactly a common feature of idol worship today. But if we were to look at what really is idol worship all about in the ancient world and today, the common thread is that worshiping an idol was about placing your ultimate trust in something other than the God of the universe. Because God is God and we are not. And so while, yes, our idols that we worship, they don't have hands and feet and eyes and mouths, they're not statues and sculptures for the most part, I hope not, but the idols that we are bound to and drawn to, well, they're things like our security, right? I 
feeling like I need to have a certain level of security in order for me to feel like I'm okay. We place our trust and our hope in our accomplishments, in the list of degrees behind our name, the letters behind our name, the the things that we can add to our resume, how much we've climbed up the corporate ladder, how much we make on our sales bonus at the end of the year. The idols that we worship may not have hands and feet and eyes and mouths, but can be our reputation. And and we sort of can live with this sense of, I place my hope in how other people are going to view me. When my son was born, he spent a week in the NICU at St. Luke's Hospital in Sioux City, Iowa. It was a scary, scary time. In the end, he was fine, much better off than so many of the other kids that were in the NICU with him. But we had no idea what was happening day to day, hour by hour, it would change. And especially those first 36 hours or so where my wife is still in recovery in her hospital room. My son is in the NICU two floors up from where she is. And I'm torn between both of these rooms because I want to be with my son. I want to be with my wife and I can't be in two places at once. And I have no idea what's going to happen. And it's overwhelming. And it's terrifying. And there was a moment when my son was sleeping in his bed in the NICU and I had gone back to check on my wife and we're in, in her room and I just lost it. Just completely broke down. And the nurse walks in to check if we need anything. And she sees me, tears streaming down my face, and she goes, hey, I know this is really hard. I understand. I can go get the chaplain if you want. And my first response, my first instinctual response when this dear, sweet nurse offers to go get the chaplain for us because I am weeping in my wife's hospital room, my first response is, no, 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 I'm a pastor. (laughs) Aggressive timidity looks like control. Because heaven forbid I let anybody know, especially another professional, no, that I don't have it all together. Aggressive timidity looks like control, but humble audacity looks like giving it over to the God of the universe because God is God and we are not. Praying, hallowed be your name, means praying and living with a posture of humility, a recognition that we are stepping into the throne room of God most high. Verse 9, the psalmist says, All you Israelites, trust in the Lord. He is their help and shield. House of Aaron, trust in the Lord. He is their help and shield. You who fear him, trust in the Lord. He is their help and shield. I think there's a refrain there that the psalmist wants us to get. He is their help and shield over and over and over again. The Lord remembers us and will bless us. He will bless his people Israel. He will bless the house of Aaron. He will bless those who fear the Lord, small and great alike. Again, blessing, 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 again and again and again. And and I, I know we have lots of ideas of what it means to be blessed by God. We'll talk about that in just a couple of minutes. But what I want us to see right now is that the second posture that praying, hallowed be your name, invites us into is a posture of acceptance. Because there is an assurance of God's presence, that the God of the universe, this God who is wholly other, this God who is his God and we are not, that this God is for us, that this God wants to bless us, that this God is our help and our shield. 
As a child, I was taught that the sanctuary of church was to be treated with respect and reverence, right? I was supposed to dress a certain way. I was supposed to act a certain way. I wasn't supposed to do certain things in the sanctuary uh, because uh, I may may or may not, uh, you know, upset God by my behavior. Pastor Darwin shared in the celebration service that uh, Adventure Week is going to end with a motorcycle in the sanctuary, and I had this moment where my childhood Corey was alarmed, Comparisons were often made between God and coming into God's presence for worship or in prayer. And if, what would I be like? How would I behave? How would I act if I were to visit with the, the queen or the president? And, and I see the reason why that analogy, why we came to that analogy, right? There's a sense in which, yes, God is holy, God is special, God is separate, distinct from who we are, but that connection, that analogy misses a fundamentally important point, and that is this. We, when we come into the presence of God in prayer or in worship, we are not honored guests. We are children. And I thought about these images that I've seen over the years. On the left, we have President George H.W. Bush holding his grandson in the Oval Office, pointing out the decorations on the Christmas tree. On the right, because I'm bipartisan, we have President Jimmy Carter (laughs) sitting with his daughter on his lap. Now, there's a beauty in these pictures. There's a juxtaposition in these pictures that I hope catches our attention, and that's this. This is the Oval Office. This is one of the seats of power of our country, if arguably one of the most recognizable seats of power in the entire world. And here we have this person who is to be treated with respect and dignity, right? When people from around the world come and meet with the president, the president is treated with respect and dignity. And yet in this moment that these photos are taken, they are not first and foremost president of the United States. They are a father and a grandfather. And by the way, they do not cease to be president because they are also father and grandfather in these moments. They are still the president of the United States at the moment that these photos are taken. But there is an intimacy in these images. There is a recognition that the child and grandchild of the president gets a little bit of a different treatment. Friends, when we come into the presence of God... We are not guests. We are children of the king. As I was preparing this message, I read accounts of people who have visited the Oval Office. Because to actually get in to tour the Oval Office, right, the only way you can do that is if you have a special connection, right? You are related to, you have a friend who actually works in the White House. It's the only way you can get a tour of the Oval Office. And when you do, there's all sorts of rules and restrictions on what you can and can't do, what you can and can't touch. You cannot take photos of it. But everybody whose description I read of touring the Oval Office talks about how, yes, it is awe-inspiring. It is a, a, a moment that just stops you in your tracks when you set foot into this Oval Office and you recognize it for the place that it is. Is and the, the place that it serves in our world. And yet every single one of them only focused on, could, could only focus on the separation of it because none of them are children who get to walk in and run to the lap of their loving father or grandfather. 
It's who we are. We have a posture of acceptance when we pray, hallowed be your name, because aggressive timidity looks like the fear that God is going to throw us out of his presence. Aggressive timidity tries to get all of my ducks in a row because I need to make sure that I have my life in order before I come into the presence of God. Aggressive timidity looks like waiting for God to drop the other shoe because we're convinced that if I step one foot out of line, God's going to stop blessing me. God's going to stop caring for me. God's going to stop loving me. Aggressive timidity seeks control because we are afraid. One more political image, this one from, a, uh, from across the pond. This is Prince Louis at his grandmother, the Queen's Diamond Jubilee celebrations. Now, when we stop and think about it, we all know that Prince Louis is just a kid. And he's doing what my kids have done. He's doing what any kid will do. And when we stop and think about it, nobody really cares that Prince Louis thumbed his nose at his mom, put his hands over his ears and screamed, because we know he's just a kid. And yet, by the way, I thought it was ironic when I downloaded this picture from the internet, the name that the file was assigned by whoever had uploaded it to the internet was Bratty Prince. Well, friends, guess what? Every single one of us is a Bratty Prince and a bratty princess. None of us are the grown-ups in the room when we come into the presence of God. Every single one of us is just a child, a child who gets it wrong, a child who is in the presence of God and just thumbs our nose at him, a child who makes mistakes, who, who continues to choose our own path. That's who we are. That's what we do. And that is the story of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is the grace of Jesus Christ. That even though none of us have it all together, even though all of us make mistakes, even though every single one of us chooses our own path, God loves us and embraces us and forgives us through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ because that is who God is and who we are in his presence. Is not honored guests who need to mind our P's and Q's, but we are the children who are welcomed and embraced into his lap, not because of anything we have done to earn or deserve that, but because it is who God is and his love for us. And I am so passionate about this because I know that somehow it is possible for us to go to church week after week after week for years and somehow still miss the core message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I know that because, friends, that was me. I spent most of my life going to church once on Sunday, often twice on Sunday, and it took me years to really believe that Jesus loved me no matter what I had done. And I am still learning to this day to believe that I am fully accepted by God and embraced by his grace. And so when we pray, hallowed be your name, yes, there is a posture of humility. We are in the presence of the God of the universe, but also it should form us and shape us to have a posture of acceptance that God has loved us and embraced us. And so when we pray, we pray with a posture of assurance. Last week, we had a family dinner with my, my family and my, my in-laws and uh, my, my wife's grandmother and and my father-in-law asked my daughter to pray, and she's 11, and as she prayed, she, she said, God, bless this food onto our bodies. And I thought, well, that's weird. That's not something an 11-year-old normally says. 
And then I thought, well, where did she learn that phrase? And I thought, wait a minute, that's not a phrase I normally say. Where did I learn that phrase? I learned it from my parents. And I've been around my, my grandparents enough to know that they learned it from their parents. Now, there's nothing wrong with that, right? It's a beautiful thing. And God, by his grace, is, it, it just loves to hear us talk to him no matter how we say it, what we say. But we don't need to pile on the words and phrases. We don't need to get it right. We don't need to say things a certain way. Pastor Internet Watershed invited us a couple weeks ago to read the book, uh, Praying, like, Praying Like a Monk, Living Like Fools. And I started reading it, and the book, just the first chapter says, just, just start praying. Just talk to God as though you're just having a conversation with somebody. Don't worry about getting the words right. And I have to admit that even for me, who has prayed I don't know how many times in front of groups of people, it struck me how odd it still was for me to just, just talk. Because we're not always good at it. Because our natural instinct, our natural impulse is often we need to get the words right. And friends, let me tell you something. You don't have to. Aggressive timidity says, I can't pray because I might get it wrong. But humble audacity says, I need to pray because I belong. And in light of that belonging, in light of that assurance, we come to our third posture. Verses 14 through 18, may the Lord cause you to flourish, both you and your children. May you be blessed by the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. The highest heavens belong to the Lord, but to the earth he has given to mankind. It is not the dead who praise the Lord, those who go down to the place of silence. It is we who extol the Lord both now and forevermore. And I want to just make sure that we're catching the big promises here, right? The promise of flourishing, promise of being blessed by God, uh, this promise that, that the earth belongs to us and we extol the Lord both now and forevermore, right? This promise of eternal life. Big, big promises. But they should lead us to a posture of action. A couple of weeks ago, I was at, a, at a, a prayer gathering that we host for Movement West Michigan, and that prayer gathering is attended by, by folks from a wide variety of traditions, and one of them is my friend, I'll call him Jay, and Jay is a pastor, a pastor who comes from a, a more of a charismatic Pentecostal tradition. And so when, when Jay prays, he prays very different than I ever have, right? He prays much more about, you know, what God has said and, and declaring things in the name of Jesus that this is what should come to be. And, and afterwards, Jay and I were talking, and, and I said, you know, you just, you pray very differently than I ever have. You know, tell me more about that. And he pointed me towards John chapter 16. John chapter 16, verses 23 and 24 says, In that day you will no longer ask me anything. Very truly I tell you, my Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Until now you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask and you will receive and your joy will be complete. And he said, go look at the Greek. Because in Greek, like in uh, some languages, right, we have multiple words to talk about uh, the same concept where they have different shades of meaning. Well, in Greek, when you look at it, there's actually two verbs that we can use for the idea of asking, right? One is to ask a question, right? It's sort of asking without presuming an answer. It's just uh, when you're asking for something, it'd be like, can I ask a favor, right? Um, he, my, my friend Jay gave the comparison. He said, you know, if you were to say, hey, can, can I borrow $10? He goes, I may or may not give you that 10 bucks, right? You're asking for a favor. The second Greek verb, if I were to translate it in, in my Greek classes that I, when I taught Greek at the University of Florida, I would have told my students, translate this verb, demand. Right? I demand something. I ask it with an expectation. Jay used the example. He said, if you go to your bank account and ask for 
you aren't asking for a favor. You're asking with the expectation that this is your money and it should come to you. He said, so read John 16, 23, and 24 through that lens. And so, okay, in that day, you will no longer ask me for a favor for anything. Very truly, I tell you, my Father will give you whatever you ask with expectation in my name. Until now, you have not asked with that expectation for anything in my name. Ask with that expectation and you will receive and your joy will be complete. Now, it struck me that there is a spectrum on this. Right? I was raised, and I grew up very much, what I'm going to say over here was sort of this uh, passive version of asking God. Right? We would ask with the hopes that maybe it would happen, maybe it wouldn't. Right? Maybe, God please, maybe, kind of, sort of. Okay, but your will, not mine. Your will, not mine. And that control, right, that your will, not mine, that, that sort of controlling statement was... was Often, for me, I will fully admit, was sort of letting God off the hook. And it was more important, it was letting me off the hook. Like, I can ask, but I don't really have to expect anything because, well, it's God's will, not mine. And so I'm, and then before you know it, I'm going to knock over Sarah's keyboard here if I'm not careful. I'm all the way over here where why am I even asking? Because God already knows what I need, so, and God's going to choose what God's going to choose. And I can fall all the way off here where why even ask? And in that conversation with Jay, I realized he comes at it from a very different perspective, right? He's somewhere over here, right? Where he, really, he names the promises of God and claims them and declares that this is what's supposed to come to pass and therefore it should come to pass. Now, I will be fully admit, right? The danger over here is that we fall off over here into what we might call that sort of name it, claim it prosperity gospel, right? God promised me that boat so that I can take people out on Lake Michigan and bless them. So God's going to give me the boat. There's a danger there. I know it. I see it. But let me tell you something. I have lived so much of my life over here, almost falling off over here, that I have no doubt that it would take a landmark milestone thing for me to ever fall off over here. And maybe, just maybe, instead of living all the way over there, if I can be pulled and drawn just a little bit more this way, to recognize that God has made promises to us, that God has declared things that are given to us his blessing, his favor, that he is with us, that he is for us. And that when I pray to God, when I pray to the God of the universe, I come into his presence not as one who's going, God, please, maybe, can I ask you a favor? But I come as one who has been made promises by the God of the universe. I come not to ask a favor, but to withdraw from the promises of God that have been made to me. Now to do that, we need to know two things. First, we need to know the promises of God. Because we don't get to declare the promises of God if we don't know what they are. And I will fully own, I am still learning to view Scripture through those lens of the promises of God. And second, we need to know who we are before God because we cannot declare what the promises of God are for my life if I don't know who I am before God. There is a humility about that. But there should also be a boldness. Aggressive timidity can look like either end of that spectrum, by the way, right? Either going so far off this end that we go, no, I'm not going to ask because that, we're, we're trying to control God, right? By just not asking at all. Or we can certainly control off this side too. But either way, it's aggressive timidity. Aggressive timidity looks like control, but humble audacity says, I know who I am before God and I know what God has promised to me. 
And so in our prayers, I invite us to have a humble audacity, a posture of action. And I think we see that in the Heidelberg Catechism. And that's a fair amount of text on there. But the, first, the question says, what does the first petition mean? And the answer the catechism gives says, hallowed be your name means... Help us to truly know you, to honor, glorify, and praise you for all your works and for all that shines forth from them. And then these attributes of God, right? Your almighty power, wisdom, kindness, justice, mercy, and truth. And it means help us to direct all our living, what we think, say, and do, so that your name will never be blasphemed because of us, but always honored and praised. Well, I want to read those last four lines again. Help us to direct all our living, what we think, say, and do, so that your name will never be blasphemed because of us, but always honored and praised. In commenting on this passage, uh, theologian Stanley Hauerwas says, to invoke the name of the free, mighty God as patron of our causes is to take the name of God in vain. Those who are being formed by praying, our Father who art in heaven, holy be your name, are not permitted to abuse the holiness of God by attempting to put a leash on God, then dragging God into our crusades and cruelties. That hits hard. Because the reality is I know I've done it. I know I have looked at those who think differently from me and have thought to myself, well, at least God is on my side. I know how easily I have looked at those on the other side of an issue from me and thought they are not relying on their faith. I've marshaled God as the flag for my anger, often without even realizing it. About a year into serving the first congregation that I served, I had a family that decided they were leaving the church. And I reached out to them and I said, hey, Paul, what's going on? I'm really, hear that, really bummed to hear that you guys are leaving. And he said, I can't handle your preaching. It's too political. I said, I said Paul, I don't ever talk about policy issues at all. I'm very, very careful not to talk about policy issues. In fact, I've named pretty explicitly when I'm talking about something to say, this is not a red or a blue or a purple issue. It's what God is calling a student. He said, yes, but when you only talk about one set of issues, it makes it pretty clear that you have an agenda. Now, I'm not going to lie. I wasn't ready to hear that a year into my first congregation. I should probably call Paul up at some point and be like, hey, Paul, you were right. I didn't realize that what I was doing was I was marshalling God to my viewpoint, dragging, putting a leash on God and dragging him to my my crusades. There's a humble audacity that says that that all that we think, say, and do should hallow God's name, should point to God's almighty power, wisdom, kindness, justice, mercy, and truth. There is a humble audacity, a boldness that should come by being in the presence of God and knowing that we are invited to be his representatives in the world, that when others see us, that nothing we think, say, or do should ever point away from God's name or point to God in a way of anything but making his name holy. I'm humbled by this idea, and I hope you are too. 
But one last thing I want to think about together in our time here together, right? That promise at the end of Psalm 115, flourishing, eternal life, right? These, these big ideas of God blessing us. It's a big idea. But one of the things that I truly believe is that we are called to flourish together. That this flourishing, this promise of blessing of who we are called and invited to be, it isn't just me and you on our own, hallowing God's name. It's not even just all of us here in Fusion or on the three Hardwike worshiping communities. It is all of us together as the body of Christ called to invite our community to flourish as God has invited us to do. I said before that to name and, name and identify those promises of God and take action as ones who assume that God has made those promises, we need to know two things. We need to know the promises of God and we need to know who we are before God. I'm going to add two more things that we need to know, especially if we're going to think about this in terms of all of us as a community. Third, we need to know who, we need to know the promises of God for our community. What does God promise for us together as the city of Holland? What does God promise for us together as our neighborhoods? And fourth, we need to know who we are before God together. Who are we as the people of God collectively? See, I'm convinced that we find the vision of flourishing for who we are called to be, who we are working towards in places like Isaiah 65. Now, I'm not going to read all of Isaiah 65, verses 17 through 25, but this is an image, a promise of what is coming, of the eternal city of God. And my friend Eric has sort of taken those verses of Isaiah 65 and pointed to what, what is sort of underlying that vision of flourishing. Right? We see a satisfaction in life. We see health and longevity. We see access to the resources that we need. We see meaningful work. We see strong family structure and connection to God and reconciliation, those things that are wrong being made right. This is the vision of God's one-day kingdom. And also, I believe, what it means for us to flourish here and now together. And by the way, this is just an aside, but a few years ago, the uh, Harvard University did a study on what human flourishing looks like. And as they did that study, they identified six domains of human flourishing and four pathways to them. And believe it or not, those six domains and the four pathways to them, they just so happen to map pretty well onto Isaiah 65. It's almost as if God has wired us a certain way that we're meant to be in community, that there's certain things that we're meant to experience together collectively, and that there's ways that we're supposed to experience that, one of which Harvard University identified being religious community by things like this, what we're doing here together today. And so I think it's not a surprise that when a group of people set out to study what does it look like to flourish, we're going to find that it maps pretty well onto exactly what God has promised us we're going to find when we flourish together. But for just a moment, I want to invite you to wonder, what does it look like if we pray together? Hallowed be your name. What does it look like in our community? How would our city be transformed by God's name being made holy? How is our community transformed when we are not marshalling God to our political viewpoints, but rather we are embracing the audacity that we have to demonstrate God's justice, mercy, kindness in our community? 
How is the Holland-Zealand area transformed? How is your neighborhood transformed if you and every other follower of Jesus Christ who lives down the street from you together set about with a goal to say, together we want to demonstrate the justice, mercy, peace, love, and kindness of God to my neighborhood, to my city, to my kids' school. See, that's what I do what I do. I joke with people when I tell them about this love our schools thing. I always joke, you know, 34 churches don't just decide to do something together on their own. I often sometimes joke that I, my job is to herd the cats of the 133 congregations in the Holland, Zealand area. But I do it because I believe that together God is inviting us to truly flourish and that that true flourishing won't come if we're always siloed off into people who think like us, to people who look like us, to people who worship just like us. That's why I think things like next Sunday's combined worship service are so important because I love the model of what Heart Awake has done, but I also love the idea of coming together sometimes and saying, you know what, this week it's not about my worship preferences or your worship preferences, but it's about coming together as one community because God has called us to be one community. By the way, 9.30 next Sunday. What time? 9.30, not 10.30 here. There's something beautiful and wonderful about what happens when we together live and pray, hallowed be your name. Together, may all that we think, say, and do as a church, as one body of Christ in Holland, may it always point to the justice, mercy, love, and kindness of God. Please join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, that's our prayer. That we would be humbled by who you are and who we are not. But in that humility, may we also know that we have been accepted and embraced as your children. And as those who have been accepted and embraced, God, we pray that you would empower us to live in such a way that all that we think, say, and do would always point others to you, such that we would never blaspheme your name, but always, always point to who you are. And God, if there's anybody here in this room this morning who has been hearing this message, who has heard the messages over the weeks and months of your grace, but hasn't let it fully sink in, God, I just pray that you would open their heart. Open their heart that they would know that there's nothing they can do to make you love them more. God, open their heart to know that your grace, your mercy, your forgiveness are not tied up in what we do to earn or deserve your love, but it is entirely a freely given gift that we are accepted as your children. Help us to live like that each and every day. In the name of Jesus, we pray. And we all say together. Amen. We invite you to stand and worship with us. Before the throne of God above, I have a strong and perfect plea, a great high priest whose name is love, whoever lives and pleads for me.
that last chorus one more time together thinking through the words Now go with these words. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and forever. Amen. Go in peace. Come taste and see that the Lord is good. Come sit at the table of mercy. Come taste and see that the Lord is good. He is good. God, you're always good. Just one word, just one touch from you and I
say